Is that it? Which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mm, 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 mm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Poop, but I pooped before I Ooh, I did before really we started recording. So I texted button. you at ten twenty one. No, I watched it. For, I, that I was saw it from poop. a mile away. What are you talking the about? The pre poop. I pooped this. I pooped this morning too, but I had I had uh, hot chicken for dinner last night. So Ooh, in a way, you had stuff. Stuff. I was just, little. Yeah. It was just Ooh. round one. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, I'm fucked up right now. <laughs> All right, we are. Uh, I, I me. mean, given the movie we're talking about, it kind of fits, right? Uh, yes, sure. Sir. I noted. Yeah. I noted the. Uh, all of my poop this morning, um, but I didn't actually put it in the document. Uh, it wasn't connecting for me, so I need to. We're we're tracking our poops this year, like uh, not we as in the royal, oh, all of us okay. we, but uh, the royal. Me and me and Cody, I think, are the only ones with the poop tracking documents. For right Why? Now. Um, I saw it on TikTok, <laughs> honestly, <laughs> uh, and it seemed like a fun thing to wrap up at the end of the year. And uh, we'll see. Literally, all it takes nowadays. Yeah. Oh, I saw a TikTok about it, so I'm going to dedicate my next year to tracking Too my sad. my movements. Did, we are going to get some great data. Question, question about the TikTok. Sorry, was this like a like kind of a funny TikTok, or was this like a holistic like track your poops? Oh no, it was it was a funny like it was more it was the a girl who at the end of 2023 okay. presented to her friends her year in, in shitting is what she called it, and it was a PowerPoint presentation sure. with all of the data analyzed and broken down about frequency number of times the certain subject i can only imagine you you two are also going to do that for us that's the primary yes. reason why Senior i want to do this mm-hmm. okay. okay i'm not worried Excellent. about my pooping habits but it is nice to have the, the visibility the mindfulness I'm not and, you know. and getting to show it yeah. off at the end of the year i think is going to be a fun thing to do uh seth has how already much, promised to help me how how in-depth of like notes are you taking about an individual so poop? Glad you've asked. I'll go first. I'll go first. So okay. I, I have no, a number of different uh, columns. I have date, whether it was an attempt that went anywhere, like did I sit down and just nothing came? Did I feel the need and then nothing happened? That's happened a couple of times. Oh, yeah. Uh, I ended up, I, uh, I added whether or not there was a bidet bump, as in I've installed a bidet at my home and when I use it, sometimes after using it, more poop comes out. And in that case, that's considered the bidet. But I want to know exactly how often that happens in a year. Uh, that was the exact same uh, noise that I made the first time I received that I mean, information. You that asked, challenging both information, of you asked. Blake. Um, we didn't ask about the fucking bidet bump, my friend. I have friend. one for the volume, <laughs> the color, the consistency, like the shape and dryness. Um, J- yeah. Jason, I haven't really talked to you very in depth in a couple months. <laughs> Did you and yeah. Sky break up? Because this is the most <laughs> single guy thing I've ever heard in my life. Just, right, the most like newly single guy thing. Yeah, you know? like, are it's you like, okay, well, dude? I got some time on my hands. I need a, I might as well. I need a, yeah. Time for a new hobby. I'm going to get back on the horse. I don't have room for right shit. about my shits in a Google oh sheet. Oh my god. Uh, no, it's uh, it just seems like it's going to be a fun thing to do. Uh, Cody, do you uh, mind giving a quick overview since I took up all the air talking about my poops? Sure. Yeah. Well, the the origin of this, it was Jason who sent the TikTok and then it was me who sent like the double eyes emoji, which is like, hey, but uh, <laughs> what if, you know, it <laughs> sounds like a pretty cool idea. Um, me being the very single person in the duo, I think it kind of balanced everybody out. But I'm also tracking in addition to 
the types of things that Jason put out there. I'm tracking, I can't remember if he said like AM, PM, just like that sort of, you know, like binary data point. Um, like, did I, did I go running today? Are my movements different on a day when I'm like physically active or if I'm like playing sports, uh, you know, or, or something like that. And then I, I also want to, yeah, collect it. You know, if I don't have, if, if, if a day goes, uh, and I don't have a movement, if I don't expel these things from my body, you know, like what's the reason behind that? What's going on physically, mentally, emotionally? I want to get the full narrative as much as possible. That's what we're trying to accomplish this year. Yeah, for sure. All, a- anything and everything. Do you all poop at least once a day? I've only had two days so far. Well, I guess, I mean, only two in a month. I've had two days so far this calendar year where I have See, not had is- a single movement. This is how you can tell that Blake is a professional journalist because he knows the questions to ask. And he no. knows that Cody has that answer on lock, right? <laughs> like if anybody knows the answer to that question, it's the man we're interviewing it's, about this subject. It's actually has little to do with me being a journalist and more to do with how much time I spend shitting every day. That's yeah. Yeah. My, Brother, like, that's I, like why I'm not doing this, right? Like, guess, like straight like, up. Oh, that's why. Yeah. I'm considering, <laughs> oh. I'm, consi- I'm thinking about this and I'm considering like if I did it, because I poop usually twice a day, that could be nearly 700 poops I'd have to go through. Mm-hmm. To like, if you can refocus that time, it's a full time job. You right. yeah. yeah. could learn yeah. Russian. Right. Brian <laughs> yeah. also need Ryan, no, I'm not tracking my books because I want to learn Russian. I want to learn the Cyrillic alphabet. Yeah. I'm just saying it's, it's one or the business. other, you know? <laughs> That's interesting, though. I, I are look you guys forward not to tracking what you're eating? Not, like, are you guys not just as closely now. My gotta like quadruple our work. Not what's going in, only what's coming out. Honestly, yes. Like, if it's a direct, like, I think it was. After the we two ate Little Caesars while watching Shanghai Noon a couple of weeks ago, I think like that was a notable, oh, I ate a lot of cheese, and I know this is going to impact high mm-hmm. poop, and it did. Right. It was like, oh, it'll, yeah, be sad, it'll be a sad document. Too, just the, the column with like, yes or no, did you have Baja Blast today? It's just going to get really depressing. <laughs> um, so I think we'll, I'll shy away from that anyway. Yeah. Well, ah, there what, you go. What, a, what a diversion. You can call those the BB days. <sighs> hmm. The Baja every Blast day. days. This is maybe uh, every worst intro day. to an episode. Yeah, probably. I don't know. You know I, I mean, mean lost yeah, it's, engagement, it's engagement with our guest. What the hell are you talking about? This is ideal podcasting. Um, I've yeah, spent yeah. more. I've spent a lot of my life podcasting about bowel movements. If you go through the annals of history, this is very normal for me. Honestly, <laughs> I'll have to Google of Blake Hester yeah, that's right. poop, yeah, that's poop right. pod uh, to find out. Oh, I'm sure which ones you're talking about. If you can. If you can find the Game Query archive, it's probably like five years of shit conversations, and that's it. And I'm not Spe- talking the quality of the conversations, <laughs> which were also shit. Speaking of Blake podcasts, I just got my Something Rotten shirt, and it's super cool. I like no, it a lot. I missed that. Thank yeah. you so I missed much. That. You should do Shout one for out. Silent Thank Hill, you. too, because that's the one that I've played. We, oh, and we did Silent Hill 3. Yeah, unfortunately. We're, I don't so get the we're, we're, This is a try-love. This is a Tri-Love exclusive. We are working on our next merch drop right now. And I think the, the shirt will not be Silent Hill focused. It'll be the next season. Ooh. But we want to do a secondary merch thing. And there's some Silent Hill ideas in there. But oh, shit. we'll see. Nice. We'll see. I'm on it. Don't know if we want to double dip in the Silent Hill Silent Hill I'm, community. I'm all about Silent Hill today because, as Cody mentioned, it's foggy in Minneapolis, and That's like true. it's foggy here ga- in Chicago too. Like any it's gamer, crazy. that means that I've been listening to the Silent Hill soundtrack all morning. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> like you just have to, right? Yeah, <laughs> fucking great. Uh, 
Silent Hill is also a movie, Cody. You, you don't and get that to is what turn we talk about for that oh, here. And the movie yes. is good. If you'll ever do an episode on the first Silent Hill movie, like I'm reserving my spot now. You know that is a good fucking movie. I, I want. I want Petition, to. I want to be like. The, oh, that'll never happen. Programmer of the trial. But like things have happened at the trial on. John's you know, not playing that. Maybe. I, maybe. I, exactly. They had a whole year of anime shit just Honestly, for yeah, us. a video game adaptation series where it's just like pretty good. mostly yeah. pretty bad. Like the Doom movie. <laughs> the the entire know, description is just fuck you. One of those Resident <laughs> Evil movies. Yeah. yeah. The, the Resident Evil movies. Super Mario Brothers, the original. That's a good I, movie. Here's, uh, let me come out the gate. Prison rules right now. Swinging. Do it. Of all the live action Resident Evil movies that have been made, there are seven. Only one is bad, in my opinion. Which, which one? Which one? It's becoming more of a common take, right? So here's my here's how I see it. Resident Evil Three is a genuinely great film. Resident Evil One is fucking rad. Yes. Resident Evil Four, Five, and Six, and Welcome to Raccoon City are all varying degrees of. All right, that was cool. Enjoyed sure. that. Resident Evil Two, I think Apocalypse. One of the single worst movies I've ever watched. I've watched most wow. of Uwe Boll's filmography. It's at this incredible point. that you feel that way about all the other movies and still feel that way about Resident Evil Two. This is the it's, most compelling. Yeah, it's got to dig its grave uh, pretty like, deep, huh? Reason to watch this movie that I've ever heard, dude. It's it's unwatchably bad. Like it's horrendous. I mean, you know, the Nemesis practical shit is pretty cool, but. Resident yeah. Evil 3. That movie's fucking cool, man. That is a cool, like, Mad Max ripoff. I recommend is that the one where they're in the lot. desert in Vegas or whatever? Yes. Okay, so yeah, that was the that yes. was one of the first movies I ever pirated, yeah. and I had a good bit of fun with that. That was the first one of that series I ever saw. I agree with you, number one. Isn't still the, fucking excellent. the main girl in that series just married to the dude? Mm-hmm. And, like, that's... Mm-hmm. Pr- okay, that's pretty Director cool. of the last movie? Mila, we Mila, Mila, yeah. wife guy. <laughs> M- Mila Jovovich, my queen? Yeah, yeah. she was yeah. also <laughs> in his Monster Hunter movie, which was fucking good. He's awesome. I still haven't seen good that. Movies. It's a good companion piece That's to Tar, cool. though, as I understand. A true vulgar auteur. <laughs> yeah, it's the prequel to Tar, I believe. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Well, we're finally talking about movies uh, after a fashion here on Try Love. It's the Literal Roundtable podcast about movies we saw or people we met at or through the Trial and Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You can find us on Twitter at Try Love Podcast. Find the Trial and at Trial and Cinema and at Trialon.org. Get tickets and showings and all other sorts of cool merch and support ways to support the Trial on there. My name is Jason Daphnis. I literally don't know what to say about as like a quote for this movie. I feel like Aaron right now. Um, a lot of this movie is sung in Japanese with really harsh, aggressive lyrics. Quote. So I'm just going to let it be there. Uh, and my you, my Twitter handle is um, uh, at Nintendoofus. I'll show them just how strong a ghetto boy is. I'm Cody Narvison, and you can find me on Blue Sky at Cody Narvison. We are we are far too artistic and advanced to work for the likes of you. I'm Harry Mackin. You can find me on Twitter at PunishTake. Uh, my name is Aaron. When I get late, I got to keep banging all night long. Uh, and I'm currently off social media, but you know. Uh, and we are pleased once again to be joined by a very special guest um, returning from, I did not write down your previous episodes, but the last one you were on was, I think it was Pulse last January, January yep. boy, uh, first yep. first guest of the new year and uh, for, first episode. Oh, I should say we're hosted on Pinecast now. I'm just trying to give you a little bit of vamping, um, some, some space. Uh, Blake Hester, thank you for being back on the podcast. Hello. Thank you. I am Blake Hester. Penis, penis, penis. That was Got my him. From the film. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that was clear. That I think I think we knew that. that. Penis, penis, penis. Brevity and wit. Chinpo, chinpo, chinpo. If you will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, 
Yeah, it was on the Pulse episode and the Possession episode. That's right. That's right. Lest we forget. All January, yes, boy. Uh, you can find... Was Possession in January? It was, I it think was, it was. It was like was. a New Year's yeah. showing. Yeah, you wow, remember that shit? yeah. I ring, I ring in the year for Trilove. With the freakiest freak-ass movies you possibly can. Here's the thing. I still check the Trilon schedule, so I know which episodes of Trilove I want to be on. And I don't even live in Minneapolis anymore. A true fan. You love to, you love to hear it. <laughs> a true yeah, fan. it's so yeah. great. Uh, well, yeah. we hope you'll keep listening as you'll keep joining. Um, so uh, I want to highlight just off the bat for folks, if they're listening because you're on this episode, it's probably because they came from Something Rotten, Game Informer. What do you want to plug right off the bat? <laughs> Something rotten, baby. Uh, oh, I gotta like talk about. I mean, what just it is. maybe a, that's enough for me. If you want to just say penis, hey, you again. gotta <laughs> do whatever you want to do, man. Uh, no, I, I my day job is at Game Informer that pays the bills barely, not very well. Uh, my side <laughs> hey, hustle. Hey, you've got two people on this podcast who worked for Game Informer for literally zero money. You don't have to yeah, pretend that it well. pays the bills. <laughs> In practice, it feels some days like I'm working for zero money <laughs> over there, which is why I have to have a side hustle where I mooch off Jacob Geller's fame, which I think, ironically, is what most people at this point would know me from. But I do a podcast called Something You Rot, should tell him to come on this podcast so we can get some of that uh, Geller money, too. Yeah. I mean, are you all going to do like a series on uh, Top Gun Maverick? At the drop of a hat. I swear I that's the only. We should. Maverick. I mean, there would you love go. To do Top Gun Maverick. Jacob would come on. It, okay, here are the movies Jacob would come on. Top, any Top Gun, any Raid film, any Ip Man, or RRR. If we, you do an RRR so, episode, oh, Jacob wow. would we, we are skirting the, jump the, on the the, pod the Geller like orbit here because we did cover the Raid back in the day. Yeah, uh, we showed the, the RRR at the trial like last year. Ten years ago. That was a fucking god. We're so old. Ago. This is crazy. We we could honestly, if we if we pull our our like efforts and write a good three hundred character pitch, I think we could get Jacob Geller on this podcast. Uh, I mean, I could if you do RRR, I would. I, I'd just be like, it's Jason from MinMax, and he'd do it. It'd be oh fun. yeah, and he'd talk for hours about RRR, but he'd also talk about how i refuse to watch it which is a running bit that i still haven't seen it and it is despite him i appreciate that you know it's despite you and not because you don't have a particular interest in it just because you have somebody who wants you to i'd love to see it i'd love to see it. i just think jacob you know someone's got to keep him down because <laughs> someone's got to keep his head he's, small. he's really flying too high yeah he's too <laughs> yeah. famous too successful yeah yeah that being said, yeah, I do like to mooch off his fame. Uh, and, uh, and and we like to mooch off yours SR. with this particular episode. Thank you so much for joining. Uh, I, as soon as you saw this absolutely. on the schedule, you said you wanted to talk about it. Um, but I'll let Aaron do a quick introduction of the film we're actually going to talk about. He does that with uh, the patented Aaron Grossman summary. Yes, indeed, folks. Yes, indeed, folks. Uh, we're talking about a film that's very hard to sum up. Uh, Burst City, 1982 film, uh, directed by Gakaryu Ishii. Uh, hopefully I pronounced that first name correct. Yes, uh, Burst City was Ishii's third feature film. It was his uh, first studio-produced film. Uh, the film, very hard to sum up, but kind of generally follows the residents of this uh, dystopian neighborhood, uh, I believe in Tokyo, uh, as they fight the system by uh, listening to punk rock music, fighting each other, um, and protesting the construction of a nearby power plant, nuclear power plant specifically. Uh, the film contains many different plot threads, um, some that converge, some that don't, uh, including, for example, uh, a man who pimps out his girlfriend uh, to a, brain, a deranged businessman, 
a duo of bikers who travel around the city uh, in this kind of act of revenge that we'll probably get into. Uh, and also the members of various different kind of hardcore punk rock bands as they play live concerts and kind of beat the shit out of the people in other similar bands. Um, kind of lastly, notably the film, uh, kind of this this punk rock exercise in filmmaking itself does indeed uh, contain many different members of 1980s uh, punk bands in Japan, um, including the Stalin, uh, Machizo, Machizo, Machida, uh, the Roosters, and the Rockers. Um, that's what I got. Kind of the last two names there. Not great punk rock band names. The Roosters. But the know? Stalins is a really good punk band. The Stalins band. is, yeah, I mean, that's really good. badass. Yes. Supposedly they were known for like doing some crazy shit on stage. If you ever like look they, up their Wikipedia, I think the they would that, like, like piss, vomit, this, have sex. Yeah, on in this stage. movie, there's a scene where yeah. there's an act that pisses on the state on the audience and throws pig heads and shit. I I think that was like pulled from their real live performances, right? Let's go. Yeah. yeah, I do. I do hate to do this though, but this is his third studio film, not his first. What his first two were not studio produced though, so he Panic. made he. Panic High School was he made by Nikatsu. That. No, he remade he his not? he remade his student short under Nikatsu. They what? bought it and he remade it. And then his second one was just distributed. Here we, here we go. This, this uh, is why fair, I, have I did take that podcast. from the Metrograph article that Jason linked me. But, I like that uh, article. I, it's I'll also the one it. that yes. led me to believe that the lost I, decade was the eighties. So, no, nah. which is this crazy. Is, damn, fuck Metrograph. Like, first, first of all, very favorite. Like, have you not played Yakuza Zero, Jason? Come on, come on. You know I have, Harry. It's okay. No, I don't mean to be a know-it-all, but I do think it's interesting. It matters here, yeah. You don't get to this movie without his first film not being very specifically like a studio film because it pissed him off so badly that he was like, "What if I made something like Burst City to get back at them?" Which <laughs> shows you know a little a thing or two about spite. Yeah, Blake. Um, I wanted to get your take on this, but it was the, my first Ishii. Uh, I think you had sort of sung mm-hmm. uh, Ishii's praises for a little while when we used to talk about movies. Uh, but I want to know what sort of compels you to talk about this one. What brought you back to yeah. it? Uh, you know, what, what's what's your history with it? All that. My history with it is I watched it for the first time yesterday. I'd never seen it. Um, huh. Which is the dirty secret of this whole thing. Yeah, You own but- the Blu-ray, but you never watched it. That's a yeah, sicko I mean, thing. That's, I, don't, that's I never a, do that. That's a com- that's a common refrain. Is I just own movies I've never seen. But no, I, I'm I'm a really and weirdly, ironically, perhaps I'm despite not really being a fan of cyberpunk broadly as a genre, I'm a huge fan of the like very brief era of Japanese cyberpunk films. Not including anime and manga, that's a whole separate conversation, but the like live action burst of them, if you will. Um, nice. And Ishii and Burst City and Crazy Thunder Road a bit, his film that preceded this one, um, stands as kind of the starting point of that whole thing, as well as like kicking off a lot of the like independent Japanese cinema that we would like really see flourish in the 90s and 2000s with like the V cinema stuff and the rise of Mike and now very disgraced on Sono and plenty of other directors. So uh, Ishii was like very much a director I knew I needed to get to, having like really loved all of the stuff by like Shozen Fukui and to a lesser degree Shinya Tsukamoto. I think his non cyberpunk stuff is way more fascinating than his actual cyberpunk stuff. Um, 
but what like drew me to wanting to like watch this and talk about this is just like how hard this movie hit and how big of a blind spot it was for myself it was like a good excuse to finally put my money where my mouth was and be like to know the history i I claim to care about uh, you claim it very strongly to the point where i figured that you had seen this movie at least once before having like you're really uh, now learning baseless uh claims about like how much this movie changed the industry i I, i'm not gonna i'm not gonna call you i'm not gonna call you the f word on this podcast but it's a bit fraudulent your claims uh no i don't think it's baseless (laughs) my 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 take is like it is very interesting to see a movie like this not just like arise from a certain primordial soup mm-hmm. like like descriptively like some trends do in in cinema I'm, I'm no scholar of like cinema history but typically you know you see one or two things like movies come out that are like something and then others sort of capitalize yeah. on it and that becomes the movement with this it's like with birth city it's very easy to see this was like the statement this was prescribed this was ishi saying it's this yeah. movie is going to be like this uh you know i'm sure that there were ways that he would have made it different if he could have but the intentional sure. like creation of it as it is mm-hmm. as this like half strangely documentarian cultural document thing feels like oh we're not you know seeding some ideas in the in the film industry we are exactly. we are making the statement right off the top and then other people can follow and iterate it's just really I, does it feel like that now that you have seen it and since you've got a little more experience mm-hmm. than some For of us sure. uh like does it does it yeah. feel like this was the inflection point and everything else kind of like sailed from there absolutely um i think very famously his movie before this crazy thunder road was like one of the big inspirations for akira mm-hmm. um which is like one of those interesting things where it's like if akira is one of the most important movies ever made is the movie that inspired it and it's like well, yeah, probably the band mm-hmm. that inspired the Beatles is probably also one of the most important bands. Also, of all the time. Beatles, but they see, get a fun shout out in this movie where somebody just stomps all yeah, over their true. poster. That's <laughs> true, yeah. Which, you know, relatable. I'm not a huge fan of those four. four if you're, a, from if four you're a, a punk band, you pretty much have to shit on the Beatles, yeah. right? Like, I think I, I literally said to Kelly in the theater, phony Beatlemania has bitten the dust, right? It's just sort of like a, a go to for being a punk band. But, you know, like being such a fan of, I don't know the way you want to put it, like Maverick Japanese movies. I mean, Miike was like so big for me growing up. Sion Sono until, you know, we all learned what he was really like. More like Um, Sion. Oh, no. That was other people. Yeah. Oh, no. Uh, You know, I was a little embarrassed. I had not seen this movie before this point especially like filling your text with like you got to talk about this movie and then secretly not having watched it (laughs) but like i i am almost glad i waited because it made so many movies i loved make sense it was like oh this is where it starts like you can watch something like this and then all of a sudden you like understand the why mike moves his camera the way he does why like you know there's this like kind of long history of not getting permits to shoot in public and like causing chaos in public. And you see the way he was learning from like, um, you see the way Ishii was learning from it. Definitely like the stuff Fukusaku was doing, but also a lot of the stuff that was happening, like exploitation and pink cinema when they would film fights and everything. And he's like, you can see how this is the middle ground between that. And then like Miike sending, um, the actor's name escapes me, but like covered in blood into the middle of Shinjuku and graveyard of honor, just to like freak people out um and then of course just like the way uh Tsukamoto stole the whole first person run through the streets vibe from this movie it's mm-hmm. like it was such a like okay so much now makes sense to me about where like weird indie punk cinema would go i know this isn't an indie film but nevertheless 
Also, like all the lighting, this is such a Sukumoto yeah. lit movie. <laughs> it yeah. reminded yeah. me so yeah, much yeah. of Tokyo Fist or Tetsuo or yeah. um, even A Snake of June or something like that. Yeah. Um, I'm so glad you brought up uh, Fukusaku also. There's so mm-hmm. much Fukusaku in this movie, especially like I, I think a lot about like the um, the first Battles Without Honor or Humanity where like mm-hmm. the first half hour of that movie is just fucking chaos. Yeah. And it, like it captures the post-war so well. Uh, yeah. A lot of the crowd work in this movie really was reminiscent of that. Like just I agree. Unbelievable. I kept I kept thinking about those movies too. I mean, that's all over his his catalog of films, not just the battles series. Uh, maybe not his later stuff because I don't remember like Battle Royale doing shit like that specifically. That feels more staged. Um, yeah, for sure. But like watching that, it, this was striking me. It's like, oh yeah, this would be the next. Like if you saw those movies and like you were inspired to film action like that, the next logical step would be to figure out how to do that in large scale. And I think like the thing this film smartly does is be like, well, if I want to film action at a large scale, I should just mimic the feeling of a push pit. And like a lot of this movie, I mean, I guess if you're looking at it from a technical perspective, it's shot like shit, but also it feels like you're in the middle of 400 people getting the shit kicked out of you. And it's like, okay, so thematically, this is like really incredible. And to me, I was like, that is the next step of like, you know, when Fukusaku would be like, what if my camera just shook back and forth while someone got beat up? It's like, what if I sent a camera in the middle of 800 crazy idiots? I love that, like, this movie, it, it I'm of kind of two minds about, I kind of have to separate um, in my brain the sort of like what I was mentioning before, the sort of cultural document of it all. And like, it is a movie that I have presumably paid or gone through effort to watch. And is there are there pieces there that sort of like sustain it as a narrative, as a story or whatever? Am I just going to have to see it as cultural document or as documentary to documentary as documentary to like, quote unquote, enjoy it, so to speak. I, I, when I look at the movie through those two lenses, I get two different answers, not like wildly, but I want to know if anybody else made that split in their head or if everybody can just kind of take this as like a homogenous thing. Um, like, I mean, just toss to some like Harry, do you make that distinction in your head between like, this is a story with fictional characters and a narrative. And this is a, you know, cultural document of Japanese punk movement in the late seventies, early eighties. Um, and does that matter to you at all in, in evaluating this movie? Yeah, no, that's a really good question, Jason, because it kind of definitely hits upon. And I think I'm, I'm sympathetic to your um, reaction to this movie. Maybe I'm uh, projecting that a little bit, but like, I think that, Going into this movie, I had very, very high expectations because um, I am a huge fan of the cyberpunk uh, genre, both American and Japanese. Uh, Japanese specifically is really fascinating to me. Um, And punk in general is like my favorite thing, uh, you know, so like I was really ready to love this movie. And I think that ideologically, historically, uh, conceptually, artistically, um, it really, I really vibe with it and fuck with it heavy, right? But it's a movie that I kind of appreciate more than I actually enjoy, right? Like, I think that if I'm being honest, like sitting in the Trilon for almost two hours watching this movie was sort of punishing at times, right? Like, I'm, I'm glad I looked up that there was a narrative afterward because it, totally escaped me like i had no idea that for instance the bikers were tracking down their the um the guy who murdered his sister right i think is like that plot line um i had no idea even that it was a nuclear facility that was being built which seems really important and so i think that 
I definitely, in order to like appreciate this movie at its fullest, I have to do the process that you're describing, Jason, where I have to separate what I'm actually watching from what I'm taking in. But when I can do that, I, I find a really a lot to admire and love in this movie, especially as a almost like wildly prophetic not not even just in terms of um stylistically or in terms of Japanese filmmaking, but also in terms of like Japanese history. Like it's wild to me that this movie came out in eighty two and not like ninety two, right. for instance, because like the the disaffectation of like young people in urban Japan that this movie is like documenting and talking about. I think uh Blake in your letterbox review you called it something like the cinema um of the world to come. And like yeah. I don't think I've ever seen anything quite this specifically prophetic in that way. Yeah, yeah. Like this is a movie that like is prefiguring and predicting an apocalypse that happened. Right. It's like like eight years later or whatever, like the bubble burst and like we actually got what this movie is is predicting is going to happen. And um, I found it um, like fascinating that it was able to predict it in that way. And also um, I found it like maybe ironically, but like very optimistic and very humanist in a way that I found very um, moving ultimately, uh, despite how uh punishing and, and charged and violent and especially sexually violent. It can be, um, it like, it really captures something about punk on a existential humanist level that, that I, that resonated with me, I guess. And so, um, I really love this movie a lot on some level. And also like, I don't know that I like watching it that much <laughs> and I guess both can be true. Right. And like, it's, it's funny too, because that's also kind of the point, right? Like we walked out of this movie and I was talking to John and it's one of those things where it's almost immune from criticism in some way, because like everything that you would criticize is the point, right? It's like, well, like exactly. it looks bad. It's, it's punishing. It's loud. It's stupid. It's raucous. It's phrenic. It's like all of those things are the point, right? Like it's, it's punk. It's not supposed to be like something you enjoy. It's not supposed to be something that is pleasant. It's supposed to be something that's an assault on the senses and on the, um, on your, uh, your brain and your heart. And like, it definitely is that right. And so like, it's, it's hard to criticize something like that. Yeah, I, I I had a very similar experience watching this, not with the the trial on, but just on my TV here in Chicago. Um, and I had like a lot of flashbacks to like a very weird comparison, but uh, I, I wrote like one of the first like essays I wrote on a book in college uh, was when I was taking a class on on South Africa in like like apartheid era uh, like literature and media. Uh, and I, I wrote like a, a an essay about like a book that was about that time period. And it was like the first time that I was like writing an essay on like a historical context and a cultural context. That I was like completely unfamiliar with. Right. Because in high school, it's all great Gatsby and shit. And like, yeah, it's super with, weird like, that America right. doesn't teach you the story of no. apartheid South Africa in high school. I wonder Things why they do apart, that. Maybe, Were you, you homeschooled know, or maybe, something, man? Uh, you'll get some you'll get like one book from Africa and then that's it. Uh, but it's like, it's very similar to that. And it's like, none of my like conceptualizations of like, is something good, like even kind of matters to this, right? We're like, yes, this movie is like hectic and like fast. And I think it's like overly long, but like complaining about like the length of it kind of seems besides the point. Cause I think that like the final 30 minutes of this that like just totally descend into chaos is like kind of the thing happening here right so i i feel like i kind of have to put aside like all of those ways of like thinking about this movie and just say like 
I kind of agree. Like, I think it gets a little long in the tooth. Uh, it's not exactly the most like pleasurable thing to watch. And I think you can also, you can chart movies that like took elements from this and like kind of sanded it down to like reuse those elements in a more kind of, uh, digestible way. Right. But I think there is something kind of amazing about seeing this and just like, just, I mean, it's it's basically two hours of, of chaos and, and kind of awful things happening. No compromise, in a way that I like. right? It's like really yes. doing its thing. Yes, and I I I dig it. Uh, I am not gonna go watch this again tomorrow necessarily, but like it, it's it's a very I think cool thing, and I, I, I really dug the, the the film. Yeah, yeah, I did as well. I th- I think I'm in a, a similar camp as you fellas, and as I was watching the first thing that I latched on as like a a corollary to all of this um, was sometime in the last year or two can't quite time is a flat circle, et cetera. Um, Legend of the Stardust brothers, which is like similar to this, or at least like the first like kind of opening movements uh, of birth city, like everything like we're, and I, I don't know, kind of the whole movie actually come to think of it, but like cultivated around musical set pieces, Legend of the Stardust brothers is almost exclusively told through like music video-esque sequences um and it's like and and for that reason because it's i mean like it's one note but that note is very cool and good and like you don't get it's unrelenting um you don't get a ton of breaks from that like particular thing um because of that it can like depending on your mood depending on your your mileage uh it can be like grading or just like tougher to get through but um and i guess that kind of maps out well because the movie is based on a concept album i believe from 1980 and the movie itself came out in 85 um so like without knowing too much also me without knowing too much uh about this sort of thing it sounds like uh, at least some of us are coming into this um like movement uh and era relatively uh green that's i don't know i thought that was fascinating to me i'm i'm excited to to dig more uh, about that whether that's on mic or, or after the fact but both of the pieces um or like both of the films spoke to me uh or it seemed to have sp- seem to speak to there we go um this just like this this energy that like we like we're not quite sure how to to visualize visualize this or, or manifest it but we know we have to get it out there in some way and so instead of conforming like feelings to film or yeah it's it's kind of the opposite right of what you would expect like it's it's like prioritizing feeling over form in a way that i think is super endearing uh and even you kind of like y'all or 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 like some of y'all have been saying um the last couple of you like even if even if i don't necessarily love this as a film i love this as a thing and i love this as like a vibe uh and um i don't know every everything that comes with that i don't i'll I'll hand it off from there but i I think i'm in i'm in a similar place to everybody here it 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 is interesting hearing you (laughs) hearing you all talk about your experience watching this movie because um i almost feel like if you're if you're going into japanese cyberpunk this like very brief genre with only may i don't even think 10 movies even though this is the technically as they liked it called the first one i actually think it is like maybe the one you should not watch first um because i feel like the genre as a whole it just takes a mental recalibration like you just kind of have to not want narrative from a movie like the the stories of tetsuo or 964 or organ or any of these films they are ostensibly there and they could ostensibly be good but i i I find these movies more compelling as like 
I don't know, reductively collections of moments. Mm. They are films with such like powerful imagery. Like Jason, we love to laugh about the vomiting scene in 964. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I mean, Tetsuo is just one of those films where it's like any given still frame of that is like the craziest shit you've ever seen. And I think like if this is the origin point for that as a genre, it's 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 almost a fool's errand to go into the film and like even want a story. Though I think there is an argument you could make that this is a musical and maybe would make it a more cohesive uh, piece if you look at it as a like a musical. Um, but as like a collection of scenes and a collection of moments and this like, you know, I think a lot of sci- I- I'm not too well versed on the broader genre, so I don't want to speak out my ass too much about cyberpunk. But I think like the Japanese side of it, there is like not this slickness to it that a lot of western cyberpunk has which is usually just doing some like kind of fetishization of like asian cities and asian culture and rather this is the complete deconstruction of it it's actually it's often the lack of cyber replaced wholly with punk and um i think that makes this like such a beautiful film because it is rejecting anything and everything that you might want out of a film and forcing you to confront cacophony which is like the most punk shit ever right yeah it's fuck like, yeah dude it, it is like it, there is ways to watch this film where it feels like you're just being told fuck you by the creator and everyone in it and i think like i think i had that mental recalibration <laughs> which helped me going into it but i found it just a gobsmacking movie like i was obsessed with it from start to finish i I like watching this. I was like, well, yeah, it makes sense that someone like Tarantino would cite Ishii as an influence. I don't know if he meant specifically this movie, but like this director for sure makes sense. If you're seeing one of his original, like original things he worked on, I know he took like a 10 year gap after shortly after this or whatever, but it's like you see him like getting his feet wet as a creator. And it's like, well, yeah, this all makes sense to me why people will like point to him as like, yeah, that was the guy that kind of like taught me these tricks. Yeah. I, yeah. I think that's a really good point. Thinking about this movie as like a potential barrier for entry, especially if like you're, uh, you have no idea what to expect going in. And I got thinking about that just last night. Um, Harry Kelly and I, we, we saw Burst city together. I stayed for electric dragon, 80,000 volts, which the Trilon was also showing. And what John was saying uh, before, like, and I, I totally get what he, w- what he was communicating, like when he said it before. And I like, after the movie, it was just like, this definitely tracks of like the preferred order for these two being, um, or, or, or I don't know, his like, kind of like the perception of it being burst city and then electric dragon as like a shot chaser sort of thing where like burst city is just, it's that, that cacophony, it is overwhelming to the senses. It's just, it's, you know, running you through a, a gauntlet for two hours. And then Electric Dragon is actually like more closely tethered to, um, like the, the sensationalism and, and that cacophony, uh, cacophony as, as, um, was presented in Burst City. Like in both, you can clearly see there's a feeling, um, and certain images that Ishii wants to cap and like everything else we're doing is just sort of built around, um, uh, putting those, those images forth. But there is a little bit more of a narrative going through, um, Electric Dragon. 
but I guess depending on the framework that you that you might prefer, I could definitely see it being like Electric Dragon, especially also because Electric Dragon is just under an hour, like quick and dirty. Um, yeah, like re- really great. Um, for that reason in particular, Rashomani's um has entered the chat. Um, but just Electric Dragon being more closely tethered to what like big scare quotes like a conventional movie, and then you get into really get into the thick of it with something like Burst City. So as like a, a stepping stone into something, you know, a more grandiose version of this thing. Um, so I don't know. All that is to say, I think like either order works, I guess, depending on like what it is you're, you're trying to achieve with like understanding this movement. Um, but that's, that is good context to know that Burst City, you know, for as much as we know about that might be, you know, like a, a relatively extreme example of what this like kind of smaller movement or, or subgenre um, might be, might be getting across. Um, the, I don't know, Harry. Thoughts on that? I know you're you're seeing Electric Dragon tonight, and I'll be looking forward to hear what what uh, what you think about that. But um, I'll hand it off to you. Yeah. Oh man, this is the best episode we've done in a long time, in my opinion. I feel like I my uh, understanding of this movie is really exploding. I really loved uh, Blake your characterization of American cyberpunk versus Japanese cyberpunk because you're sure. right. Uh, specifically, cyberpunk in the '80s was coming out of a real xenophobia concerning Chinese and Japanese influence in America. Um, that was when electronics from East Asia were like really saturating the market and. Um, Japan's economy specifically was blowing up in a way that was making a lot of Westerners very nervous. Um, and cyberpunk kind of came out of that. And there's this really gross undercurrent in cyberpunk that is sort of afraid of the influence of East Asia on America and on the West because of this idea that, um, East Asian culture is somehow less human. It's more homogenized. It's more corporate than, um, than something like Western culture, which is an insane thing to believe looking back at it now, but also um, it, it really like that informs a lot of cyberpunk, a lot of the fear mongering that went into cyberpunk. Japanese cyberpunk as a reaction to that is really fascinating because we get to see how the Japanese people are responding to their fetishization and also being sort of labeled these new 20th century, 21st century villains kind of uh, by cyberpunk. And I think it's really fascinating the way Japanese cyberpunk takes that on because they don't necessarily react to it the way you would expect. I think one of the hallmarks of Japanese cyberpunk is all about like transformation in a really fascinating way. This movie almost like, takes on this idea that this culture is transforming and being led by uh, East Asian ideas and accepts it and says, actually, that's a good thing. And actually, like, there is no stopping that. And in my opinion, this movie even says, like, that's like it's it's good that that's happening because that is pushing us towards something that is more a transformation into society that is more human that is actually breaking down oppressive structures and i find that part of this movie really amazing right like i think that like in in some ways this is almost seeing like um the bad guys of American cyberpunk from the bad guys perspective, right? Like the, these, these sort of scary punk bands who seem to be so sort of like they've, they've um, come out of this society and this culture that is totally alien to us and, and totally incomprehensible, right? Like these people who have been, they born and bred on the, the mean streets of Tokyo. And like, they have these, um, these really strong convictions that we can't really understand, but that nonetheless are totally driving who they are and driving them toward this, um, this confrontation with, um, coherence itself, right. In the form of, uh, the nuclear plant and in, in the form of the cops and the corporations and 
it's supposed to be sort of scary that, that these people we can't understand are coming for uh, what we're, what's going to happen to uh, culture and society. And yet this movie portrays it, in my opinion, very positively, right? It's like punk is coming for uh, for you, for people, and it's going to break down norms. It's going to break down culture, um, and it's unavoidable, right? Like I, th- I think that this movie makes this transformation that that is occurring, um, sort of like this this end point of human history in a way that I really respond to, right? There's this idea that like, oh, all of these punks, these Japanese um, punks that we see in this movie, they were created by their environment, right? Existence precedes essence. Like the the first half of this movie or thereabouts is, is very much about selling that. It's about this idea that like, okay, like these cyberpunks came from somewhere. Like they, they came from the circumstances that created them. This gave them these... Um, notions, these ideas, this ideology that we can't fully understand, but that is nonetheless defining, and they are going to use it to demolish what came before and bring about this brave, transform this brave new world of cyberpunk. And far from being scary, that's a good thing, right? That's an irrepressible thing. It's this, this great idea that like humans can't be contained, they can't be bound, that I find so punk rock and so like inspiring. Um, and I, yeah, I just really love this ending, right? Where like finally like this man, like despite what, like the entire world trying to stop these punks from having their show, they prevail and he says, don't fuck with me. And then it's like an onward into the future. Like this is what's happening, right? Like you can't keep us down. And uh, despite that not really happening in the world, um, I find it so inspirational that, that 1982 was looking forward to a world where like punk rock was actually going to reform society in its image. Right. And like, I love that it's like an assault and it's supposed to be uncomfortable and it's supposed to be scary. And I think that's exactly the right way to portray it. So like I came away from this movie really inspired um, despite sort of, or maybe even because of how, um, what an assault it was on my senses. Yeah. It's interesting. I I don't know that it's interesting hearing you talk about like having such a positive reading of the film, because I certainly don't think it's incorrect. I just, Maybe it's my inherent nihilism, but like I could only feel the ways in which something like this is birthed out of anger, right? Which very much think, so, yeah, yeah, right. Like I, I, I don't think those things are mutually exclusive. I think it's birthed out of anger to want to see a better future. But like I was, I was thinking a lot about the era in which this movie was made, and you know, you can also look at like the Western punk movement, which is coming in the seventies an era of disco and like American opulence and all this bullshit, whatever. And this movie coming out in 82, which is like, you know, as the, the bubble economy is really starting to kick off and things like the Walkman are coming out and the, the Nintendo and all this shit when, you know, Japan is becoming the biggest economy in the world or second biggest, whatever they ended up, wherever they ended up falling there. There is like the obvious reaction to like, what some people at the top would see as like the greatest era ever. You know, I, I know in, in Japan, there's still a lot of like nostalgia for the bubble era, especially um, among conservatives, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But I also think like, weirdly, it comes up when I interview like older game developers who were kids at that time, because it just always seemed like the country would be this Disney worldified, you know, I don't want, I don't want to speak too much about a country I do not live in, but you know what I'm saying? Like, 
But it is inherent that that stuff will create an anger or malaise in counterculture. And I think you you get a movie like this where it's like, yeah, the country on paper and financially and in bank accounts is looking fantastic. But also you get an era of like alcohol-induced stagnation. You know, parties do not breed <laughs> like – party heirs don't breed creativity. It's why most musicians fizzle out the second they get money because they start partying too much and they write bad records, right? And punk is a way to fight against that. Often with music that is not always the best, you know. I, there's a lot of punk bands I don't really want to listen to in my off off days. But, like, I think there's an interesting side of this film that – shows the anger of how well Japan was doing at this time because it's creating a place that like, and we saw this with America where art becomes less interesting. Life becomes less interesting. And that's very much the lyrics of that one song. Yeah. The most coherent song in the entire movie, right? When they're talking about, yeah. And you see so many like ideals clash in this movie by the end. Like you have the punks, which are this, kind of new-ish movement. You have the Yakuza, which is like really booming after the post-war, which had firmly established itself in this like 30 to 40 years. You have the police system. And also by the end, you have this like terrifying, like speculative view of what militarized police might look like in America. And it's easy to imagine the ways in which these pockets of people do not agree with the future of this world. And the only solution is like bloodshed, which I think is like the only way you could end this film is by taking all these different groups of this country and like forcing them to fucking yeah. fight it out. It's like an apocalypse, minute. right? Like exactly. the end of this yeah. movie is apocalyptic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like it's all these different ideas of Japan just coming to like see who comes out on top. Ishii seems to think it's the punks. I think history would have other <laughs> other views <laughs> of that, unfortunately, but nevertheless. Well, that's what makes this movie so uh, utopian to me, right? Is that, like, <laughs> yeah, 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 I agree, yeah. right? Like, like the anger is the point, right? And like, I'm not saying like I don't think that the punks in this movie are portrayed as having a coherent ideology. I think that that is that is <laughs> right. utter utterly against what they're standing for, right? But like, even the idea that like, okay, like to to me, the the utopia that this movie proposes is one where punks tear down the establishment, right? Yeah, it is yeah. bloodshed, it is revolution, it is apocalypse. And it's it's basically just saying that like, hey, like the bill's gonna come due, right? Like all of this malaise you've created, all of this undercurrent in society of people who are are not being expre- are uh represented, who are not being listened to, that that is going to boil over and history is going to have a reckoning, right? And even yeah, if yeah. That, even if there's nothing that we can understand on the other side of that reckoning the fact that the reckoning is coming is a good thing right like the fact that this violence is coming is is better than the alternative which spoilers is what we actually got in history right like that that unfortunately right like it's wild to call this movie optimistic but like if if you're a ontological fucking communist asshole like me and you're like oh like i would have preferred a international revolution <laughs> to what we ended up with right and it like i think that's kind of amazing that this movie like uh desires that as well or if not desires it sees it as something that is inevitable right i think it's interesting to think of all of those ideas in through the lens of the kinds like the the manifestations of their of that anger and malaise like inarguably the music that they're playing came from exposure to Western culture in the wartime era. And shortly thereafter, 
uh, and, you know, occupation, uh, it, and the fact that it is like the music is their driving force. Every action that happens that has real consequence in this movie, every like punk act, every like revolutionary thing, every battle, almost all the bloodshed happens with a background of this in Japanese language and with a Japanese inflection toward its topic and subject matter. But, uh, like as inspired by Western culture, the, the music, the, the songwriting style, et cetera, like the actual genre was not born natively in Japan. Uh, I mean, you could argue about what parts of America it was actually born in, but like the, the nature of it is that it was, a, but through exposure to Western culture and the idea that they are to that, like, I don't know, maybe the idea is a little bit too, maybe it's beyond my reach, so to speak, but like the explosion of it in Japan was came with that necessary like cultural background of this is not a natively born genre. It is not a thing that we created, but it's a thing that we're leveraging. It's sort of like this anger and malaise that y'all were talking about, like seeing it from their perspective is where it is very good. Like this tool is very good for expressing the feelings that we're having without target sometimes and without coherent uh, ideology sometimes, but as like a capsule for this feeling, it matters that it, that it came from outside of our country that it, that it not necessarily belongs to, but like necessarily does not belong to, I guess now, like it is, it has been, it is being adapted it is being adopted and it is being like changed and repurposed to express anger at like our own. I'm speaking from the perspective of the Japanese punk now, but at our own society and the directions in which it's headed at uh, like the influence of Western society. And there's sort of like a, a snarky, cheeky, very punky uh, re reappropriation of that, of that genre of that music. Um, I just find it interesting that that's almost always the background to the thing. I mean, like you could, we've already like uh, Blake, you said it, it's kind of like more like a musical because it's just so constantly there. So present. Um, and so like those competing ideas of, a whole subculture, whole counterculture that is uh, expressing itself against the the uh, I guess the state of things as as driven in part by Western influence and by uh, by occupation is itself using this piece that is sort of in, uh, by by nature a Western uh, like a piece of Western culture against like both the interior and exterior influence of you know the way that japan was going at the time um man that is such a good point jason because like that is uh, it's such a um like hallmark of punk to me and of what this movie is doing that like punk has this like ironic kitsch to it right like there there is this idea that that punk is sort of like both self-aware and transcendentally unself-aware right and like the idea the idea that like um like these these Japanese punks are like basically a, a kind of appropriating punk in some ways, right? Like in, in fact, it very much in this movie, it looks like a almost like campy, over the top parody of punk, right? Like with the the leather jackets and the um, uh, studs and like the the biker culture and all of that stuff. Like even the music, right? It sounds like a sort of almost like over the top parody of what was once a legitimate or not legitimate, but um, an earnest artistic expression. And yet the very fact that like all of this is appropriative, all of this is refracted through irony, through um, parody almost it, there is a transcendental like earnestness to it, right? Mm -hmm. Like it, it is suggesting that like 
regardless of the fact that we don't have the right tools to express ourselves, that the tools that we have to express ourselves are capitalistic, they are exploitative, they are something that was foisted upon us, right? Like punk was foisted upon Japan, right? Basically. Um, and uh, despite the fact that like we don't have the, the proper tools to express ourselves and we don't have something um, – uncorrupted to express right like these punks don't even know what they want to say um the very fact that we feel it as much as we do outweighs all of those things right like it it makes it so that like the the tools and the expression itself are secondary to the feeling which to me is what punk is all about right like i i threatened this before when cody was talking but it's like that the uh, 20th century women um quote where uh greta gerwig's character says like yeah, the, these people, like, they don't know what they want to say, and they don't have the artistic skill to express it, but there's something really fascinating about the fact that they can't do either of those things. Like, the fact that, like, punk is an expression of the rage that comes with not being able to express yourself, and that itself is an expression, right? And I, I think that, like, as a metaphor for uh, malaise, as a metaphor for this sort of, like, um, this anguish at being marginalized, this anguish at knowing that like you don't get to live a life that is free of exploitation, is free of, um, you know, uh, of bondage basically um, is like the perfect way to express anger at an establishment that has, you know, defined your life and will continue to. And, you know, I, I think that I, I love the idea. Like, I think it's like the ultimate sort of, um, naive hope that like, hey, maybe the bigness of my feelings matters, even if I can't express them properly. And even if I don't know what I want to express, maybe they'll have some kind of effect on the world, right? Like, I think that's the ultimate hope of punk. And I think that that's what this movie says is that like, hey, if like, if you get angry enough, you can tear the world apart. Uh, and it's going to matter. Your anger is going to matter. And it's like, fuck, like, I, I really wish that were true. <laughs> I uh, I mean, in regards to like the punk bands that show up in this and the punk community that was clearly not paid <laughs> to just be in this film because there's like a thousand extras or whatever. I think one of the quietly most important things about what Ishii did with Burst City was just like documentation. You know, I think like well, there, especially living somewhere like New York. I mean, we are like. In, we have an embarrassment of riches in terms of like a lot of countercultural documentation of like what these subcultures were like or what these communities were like or like weird pockets of neighborhoods and like art movements, whatever, blah, 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 blah. I think at least for the English speaking world, you know, I would, I'd love to be proved wrong that there's a ton of stuff like that about like Japanese punk documentaries, books, whatever. And there might be, but like that's not stuff that's being imported or readily translated for us that something like Burst City becomes like one of the only like in the moment looks someone like like us can get mm -hmm. of what that movement was really like and who those people were and what they how they acted and how they like dressed and played their instruments you know and that's i think is so valuable and i think it's something that you know as every year goes on we are at risk of losing more and more of that and i don't yeah. think i'm i'm certainly not the first person to make this comparison but watching this movie i couldn't help but think about penelope spheris movies uh documentaries uh the decline of western civilization there's three of them at least uh the first being like the 
LA 70s best one. punk scene. I don't know. The second one I love about the hair metal scene. The crust punk one, the third one. Crust punks, I don't it's just not my scene. Too I smelly. don't really care Too for that one. You know, I, I was th- I was trying to remember earlier. I think I watched all three of those movies in the same day, and I think it was the day I watched Dune as well. Wow. Which is a wild day. And I'll tell you, there's one of those movies I really didn't like, and it wasn't the one Penelope made. But I kept thinking about um I kept thinking about those movies watching this and you know, really wanting a decline of Western civilization for this scene. I guess it wouldn't be the decline of Western civilization, but you get what I'm saying. <laughs> um, and, you know, I I I don't know, maybe there is that thing, and I would hope to see it come to America, or if it is already readily available in america please someone point point me that way but it's like without that you know immediately accessible something like birth city mm-hmm. in the absence of a documentary is like so culturally yeah. important to just let you see like here's what a punk rocker looked like in mm-hmm. japan in 1981 1982 even like as a, even as a ridiculous important. like mutant uh rife straight like even as the exaggeration of reality that it is incredibly important for like yeah pinpointing right. what, what the well and that's what i'm like saying right time. it comes back to that that transcendental truthness right it's like this is the only way to properly document the feeling of what and the ideals like to be a, too yeah. right yeah. right because like <clears throat> the the ideals themselves are are somewhat incoherent right and the movement is not a movement so much as it is in a, a expression of of pain in a myriad ways but nonetheless it's worth documenting right and and this is the way to document it right i really love this idea that like and this is really prophetic too because i I think about a lot of like uh um i thought a lot about the leather archives in chicago shout outs to to kelly I, i guess but like and a lot of like queer history and how like queer history was like so often seen as impossible to document and it or well not impossible to document people like like repressed it right but like a big part of that was because it was so not monolithic because it, it was so um diverse and it it was so many different people in no like fundamental guiding ideology right it was just a bunch of people doing a bunch of different things trying to express themselves um and like the the idea that like oh like movements don't need to be coherent and don't need to have like a single thing to say to be worthy of listening to is like really important, right? Like I think this movement, this movie is ultimately about like, um, like despite the fact that punk is hard to pin down, it maybe is contradictory. It's maybe like, um, problematic in some ways it's corrupted by, uh, the tools that it uses. It's corrupted by the people who use those tools. It's corrupted by the world it exists in. It is nonetheless worthy of being listened to. It means something. Right. And I, I really love the, that, um, assertion, right? I think this movie is asserting ultimately like that these people mattered, that what they were trying to say mattered, that it will continue to matter and it might even define the future, right? Yeah. I know the tank's not empty on this one, but me, I'm I'm a little bit spent. Uh, is there any direction we wanted to get spent? But I've burst. I've burst in the city, in the Minneapolis. Boo! Burst. Uh, <laughs> did anybody else have any other notes they want to get out before we get to our ending segments and stuff? We're, I'm sure we're coming up on time for our typical episodes, but... No notes? Do Cody's noties. 
Well, we got at least one thing to get to before we get there. Uh, Do the drum listen, right. I, yeah, there don't, we go. don't oh, you worry. Uh, I guess I have one note, right? Which is just that, like, I think even the the sexual assault plotline uh, in this is like kind of hilariously appropriate for punk because it's like, yes, like there's there was this corporate guy who is exploiting this woman and assaulting her. He is portrayed as the bad guy. Is punk going to like solve that problem? Maybe not so much. Yeah. Like, yeah. is there is there a better world for women waiting in the punk scene? Uh, we're not really going to talk about that. Uh, we're just going <laughs> to talk about that. It's like it's bad for women now. Uh, yeah. And like, maybe we won't actually address at all the assault in any satisfying way uh, whatsoever. And it's like, huh? Wow, they accidentally sort of like symbolized what the punk movement did for <laughs> women. Huh? It's like it's like one of those weird, unfortunate things. But like, I don't know. I think it's I think it's important that like this movie at least portrays that like hey like these corporate dudes were like straight up like assaulting people (laughs) and like that's that's not cool and like that that's that's a good thing to demonstrate i Mm -hmm. guess even if even if punk maybe doesn't have an answer to that (laughs) um matt matt offer for any listeners that maybe watched this with no context some things to check out yeah i mean sorry yes please like the obvious one is Tetsuo. There's nothing anyone could possibly say about Tetsuo that hasn't been said, though I would certainly recommend watching Tsukamoto's other films in addition. Hell I yeah. I think in a lot of ways, he simply ripped off Scorsese's filmography after Tetsuo. Uh, but nonetheless, I think Bullet Ballet is just one of the best to ever do it. That and Tokyo Fist. Um, Tokyo Fist is so good, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His his, his raging bull and taxi driver <laughs> ripoffs. Uh, but uh, in the in the cyberpunk camp, I think, I mean, nine six four Pinocchio, I think, is the towering achievement as far as I'm concerned in terms of Japanese cyberpunk, just cyberpunk in general, just fucking crazy ass filmmaking yeah, in general. It's like nothing else. Yeah, Jason showed me that movie, and I'm forever grateful. Close personal friend of the show, shows in Fukui, really went wild with yeah, that shit. I, I, I got to remind every, listeners and our co-hosts here. Um, Blake actually had the opportunity to talk to shows in Fukui yeah. at the bar he runs. And is it in Tokyo? You said. Yeah, it's in Higashi Nakano TV bar Kimuri. That's uh, fucking crazy, dude. Yeah, it's he nuts. has a Twitter. He has a Twitter account where he posts what movies and what albums he's playing that night. You can just show up. The guy seems to, as they say, he seems to rule. He seems to rock. Um, yeah, I'm, nicest... I'm, I'm obsessed with the idea of him having just seen one movie of his. Yeah. He didn't make. He wasn't super prolific, as I understand. Uh, he's got several. Not a ton have made it to America. Yeah. Only Rubber's Lover and Nine Six Four have had any kind of substantial release in America. That's that's all to say, like plus one on the recommendation there for Nine Six Four. Yeah, Pinocchio. absolutely. Um, and definitely it's one of the worst in the Japanese cyberpunk canon. However, I would be remiss not to bring up Oregon by Kei Fujiwara, a wild swing of a film. Kei Fujiwara being um, the creative mastermind behind most of uh, Tsukamoto's work before that uh, the kaiju theater troupe uh, imploded. Hopefully Tsukamoto has learned his lessons from that kind of a monstrous behavior in the past. But she uh, she has gone on to make a couple films. They're not great, but they are weird and beautiful in their own right, despite being uh, overly long and pretty poorly written. But I think she's rad. I think she's such a talent. And she's still like doing plays in the mountains of Nagano, Japan. Sick. If you can go find her, apparently 
she'll let you watch her little micro plays. I feel uh, like, but also, I feel like that's your next stop once you hit Japan next time. I've you been trying to figure it out. Away. I've been trying to figure it out. She runs a cat cafe and like doxing these people. I don't fucking know. take me with you, dude. <laughs> yeah. That sounds amazing. Uh, I mean, Kei Fujiwara. If you like Tetsuo, you like Kei Fujiwara's work. You probably just don't know her. She's the woman who uh, gets fucked by the mechanical penis, but she also was the one um, doing a lot of those special effects. We are all just uh, the woman who gets fucked by the mechanical she, penis she in the twenty first century. Fucked and fucker, yeah. <laughs> if you will. Two two more quick ones: the decline of Western civilization, and also. Um, for, I, I've been really into Nobuyoshi Araki's uh, photography books, who, you know, take or leave what you will about that man's behavior. Um, I think there are certainly ways he is not immune to criticism and how he was approaching his photography work and how he treated people. But he has a book called Tokyo Lucky Hole that Toshin recently put out. And it is, I think... In terms of the pictures, it's certainly not my favorite. I like a lot of his more staged photos. These are more like documentarian work about the um, the sex industry in Kabukicho in the 80s, in the bubble era. Um, and it is literally just like, here are the women that worked here. Here are the people who went to these clubs. And it is like one of the most in-depth looks you can see at, I don't want to call it a subculture, but a part of Japanese history that is like not easily accessible because why would you put that stuff up front and center? You know, it's not the most, uh, it's not the most glamorous to show. Yeah. Some of that for the stuff, world's face. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But I think like in the same way, this showing what punk was like, it's really important to be like, these are the women who worked here. These are the people who went here. Like these are real people. And it's like this massive tome of a book that is just like portraits of them and like shots from in the club and in the bar and stuff. Like it's, it's incredible. And I was thinking about it a lot while watching this movie. Sick cultural documents yep. abound uh well thank you for the recommendations blake uh okay uh we have a couple more segments i want to direct everybody's attention to a segment that i widely decried nobody seems to really quite enjoy it um it's about movies we, we've covered from the same year that this one came out uh, 1982 other loves we've tried is what i like to call it uh blake i don't think we had this last time you were on but um maybe you'll find us something fun to to pick at in any of these no he that, hates it too he fucking hates I, this. I, I he hates you to stop everybody hates He's, it i disagree i I'm like trying, this segment i think it's See, cool no, okay. nobody ever nobody's ever on my side about this I, but i like I should, this segment i should point y'all to um episode 40 on the thing blake tell me if you haven't seen any of these movies episode 40 on the thing john carpenter episode 115 really really I, I i don't mean to sound gobsmacked but it's one of those movies that ever since i watched it i guess i don't know how people haven't watched it i only watched it when yeah. i was like 25 for the first time or something uh just before this podcast actually came about anyway episode 40 the thing check it out if you haven't uh episode 115 on pink floyd the wall that's a movie we covered as part of the non-lon showings during covid because there was nothing going on at the try so we kind of took it in our own corner for a little while uh episode 142 featured a uh, discussion of halloween 3 season of the witch uh that was with seth Zerati, part of the horrorathon five son of horrorathon at the trilon one of our big back to the lawn uh splashes that was like i had just gotten a tattoo one of these tattoos the night of the um the horrorathon and it just like that big bag just sucked up all that blood right out of my arm during that thing so tired and gross and anemic by the time it got over it was a one of a kind of experience i would repeat again any day um episode 146 on cody's favorite film fitzcarraldo uh the Werner herzog film uh the man who drags a boat through uh, my ass or whatever episode 216 about 
Chen is missing. Uh, wonderful, fun little black and white short film. Um, was that Wayne Wang? I think. Yes. Also, fucking insane that that came out the same year as this movie. Nineteen eighty-two, baby. History uh, is wild. <laughs> it is. It is. This is exactly why I like this this segment so much. Maybe next time you'll give me a little bit support, bit of support as I'm pulling it out. But I appreciate everybody sticking around for it. Uh, I do want to open up Cody, or excuse me, Blake. You already mentioned the junk drawer. Um, I'm going to open that up because you can hear your own work inside of it. That's a combination of yours and Cody's got, drawers. I still got that drawer. If I was recording at my house, I would open it again for you all. It's more full than it was then. This is try love lore. I want to hear it like grow each time I hear it. It just sounds basier and basier until the oh, bottom yeah. falls out. Oh, uh, yeah. So, uh, Blake, hit me with your junk drawer thoughts, things that uh, didn't fit in the conversation at large. Oh, shit, man. Um, why have they not... You know, in 2020, Arrow, God bless them, they put out a beautiful remaster of this film. And yet, motherfuckers leaving money on the table. Where's the where's the uh, where's the soundtrack reissue? Oh, man. About that. That's what I was going to sure. ask is like, because I need mm-hmm. to put some music in the at the end of this episode. I think I'm just going to pull it straight from the file that I found on Internet Archive because, yeah, yeah this this isn't anywhere, is it? Yeah, it, it it feels like an easy swish. I mean, maybe the yeah. rights are a little weird because of all they were all like real bands and shit. Well, and maybe no, can't I can't imagine know. they would not appreciate that. Well, yeah, it might be owned by somebody Jason, else. You could, you could just cut the uh, uh, the vocals out of Black Flag's uh, nervous breakdown because I'm pretty <laughs> sure every single song in this movie is just that riff. <laughs> they are. Hey, I, I would argue every punk song ever is just, just the that same riff. Yeah. riff. Yeah. That, that said, one of my junkyard thoughts was like, I actually had a favorite song from this movie. I really liked, and I don't know if this is the title, but the phrase that they kept repeating was, um, was it wild, wild beat in the supermarket? It's in called, the supermarket. So, yeah. yeah. I don't know if this is legitimate, but there is a, the movie soundtrack on Spotify. Ooh. So, oh. but it's supposedly that's called wild supermarket. I, okay. Uh, well, that, that I think is going to be yeah. an outro song for this, unless somebody wants yes. me because I really, it really like. It is just on the punk side of like a Ziggy era David Bowie song to the point yeah. where I was like, oh, this kind of among the other, you know, generic sounding riffies, no offense to the Roosters, the Stalins, et cetera, generic sounding like loud, hardcore punk riffs and not hardcore, but loud punk riffs that sort of stuck out as like, oh, this one is sort of a, a, what is that one song about being terrified in the, in the supermarket or in the convenience store or something like that? It was like a turning point for punk. I forget. Who did the that. clash lost in the supermarket? Was it that from, one? Uh, I'm yeah. not that familiar with the clash. I just remember people dunking yeah. on that song. Cause it's silly. That's a great song. Um, it's a great song. Yeah. We have, we have good times here on Try Love. Uh, did anybody else have uh, songs that sort of stuck out to them or were they all just that black flag song to you? Cell number eight is very catchy. Oh, oh, yeah. Uh, like yeah, 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 yeah. Sale yeah. number eight, you know. Bing, that bing, that's the I one like, I believe in the credits, yeah. I like the song where he screams penis a bunch. Yeah, me too. Yeah. That's very we, good. I mean, we good all stuff. do. It goes on set. Pretty good. Yeah. Like. The one yeah. about the the disgusting stuff in the fridge. You know, yeah. all sorts of rancid <laughs> body here's, parts. Here's a junk drawer thought sick. for you. Uh, the Japanese word for um, penis is chimpo, and there's a bug called an earwig that has like a big pincer on it. Uh, and in Japan, they're called pins- uh, chimpogiri or penis cutter because they love moisture. And so they're often seen in men's rooms uh, and like bathrooms. And so there's a, a real fear that their pincers are coming after you. They so call those that's like the common name. I, I learned that one. This is I was like the, the crocodile, the alligator and the toilet, but like, but it, but it's like know, a transplanted bug. over yeah. there. Well, exactly. yeah. I mean, in New York, yeah. they call them moils, but <laughs> shut up. <laughs> the fuck? Uh, 
I guess that's uh, that was my only other. Oh, my only other drunk drawer thought was imagine. And I I hate to sound insensitive. Imagine being like the one white guy at a Roosters concert. Did anybody else catch that clearly like Northern I European did. guy? Yeah. He's wearing all the same makeup as everybody else yeah. in the car. And he's fitting in and he's rocking out. But he's the only like European man in this entire movie. Yeah, I saw him and I was like, what is he doing there? How did he end up there? <laughs> How the fuck? Yeah, just one guy. Imagine. Imagine being that yeah. guy. Uh, cool. Well, uh, I did love opening the junk drawer. I'll close it if anybody else doesn't have more. Going, going, going. The junk drawer is closed, uh, and we have to get to one final segment. Uh, Blake, you got a little bit of time to stick around. This could be uh, oh, yeah. 10 minutes, could be three hours. We'll find out. I got nothing going on. I mean, the, the, the Detroit Lions are playing at 630, but that's forever away. That is, uh, they're going to lose. I I don't know how they're doing. We're it. taking them to the Super Bowl, baby. Fuck yeah, baby. Oh, wait, the Lions. The Lions aren't baseball? No. Hmm. Oh, boy, Jason. Jesus Christ. Jason, it's Jesus January. Christ. We're taking what? them to the Super yeah, Bowl. Yeah, what do you think? <laughs> you think they're playing baseball in January? I mean, you know what would be a really cool thing to do is to take a baseball game to the Super Bowl. The, like, this is the punk edge that football the L under hat is, is for L like Jason take it or something like that yeah I, I like think this. it's not time for to. Cody's noties yeah let's do oh, that let's do you, it can, can, did you you didn't help us ring this in last time but we have to do it it's tradition you can join if you want but Cody excuse me Harry and I need to introduce Cody's noties with yeah. our final segment theme song it's a segment we like to call <gasps> Cody's noties oh wow we had a conductor for that one I, about, I, I listen to the show all the time. I know all the segments. God, wow, Wonderful. a natural maestro. Well, yeah, yeah. thank you. That uh, that intro was was fitting to burst. I ask you, picture this. It's a calm evening. The sun has almost fully disappeared from view. Uh, a plethora of stars is uh, starting to emerge in the night sky. You can see it so clearly. You're a mm. wayward traveler. You walk uh, a lonely road. The only road you've ever known. Don't know where it goes. Sorry. Uh, You're you're seeking solace, uh, seeking comfort. When lo and behold, the view up ahead, it it, it grows clear with each step you take. A pleasant harmony of what overlapping sounds and energies, a soothing burst of glowing light uh, that appears to dance against the heavens above. Uh, A busy murmur can be heard in the distance as if to say, we're here. You're here. You've made it. As you get closer to your apparent destination, you come upon a humble street vendor. You ask them, where am I? What is this place? The vendor replies, that place? Welcome to Splurge City. The vendor goes on to say that in order to gain admittance to Splurge City, uh, you must make a purchase at their humble stand. The vendor is selling the highest definition physical media known to mankind exclusively for works whose titles... refer to a city uh this will make more sense later if it doesn't already make a ton of sense now the kindly vendor is so thrilled to know you that they offer you nine units in the currency known as city buckaroos to use for the purposes of this sale uh the nine city buckaroos need to be used only on their collection of city movies not on anything else i say this because in previous uh versions of this exercise some of you thought it'd be clever to be like oh i'm gonna spend three dollars on this one thing and then i'll get uh six uh, one dollar beers (laughs) i have no idea who would have made a joke like that? Yeah, it's, I don't know either. It's It was so long ago, I can't remember. But this is the, the disclaimer now, putting it in writing, in verbal writing. If you spend any of the city bookaroos on anything else, 
other than these movies, you'll get shipped uh, not to Splurge City, but Dead City, wherein you will die and be dead. So what I've done, <laughs> Dead yeah. City, where you die. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it says it right in the name. A lot of questions being asked, uh, you get the answer right there. So what I've done is I've arranged selected works of cinema that have a city title in descending order of letterboxed popularity. Um, and assigned city buckaroo value starting with five units for the most popular works. And then there's a, a tier down that's four. Um, I'm going to orally give the titles, but I also put together uh, this visual here. So you fellas on the call can reference it. I'll tweet it out on the day of the episode release as well. Um, so I'll, I'll list those out here. Ultimately, what we want to know is what you'd spend your nine city buckaroos on. Perhaps you already own some of these works in real life. For our purposes here, pretend that you don't. Um, without further ado, here are the the price categories we're working with. So um, hopefully the link came through okay and you guys can see that. Um, at the five city buckaroo tier, we've got Wes Anderson's Asteroid City from 2023. We have Fernando Marais' uh, City of God from 2002. Apologies uh, for any bad pronunciations on my part. Uh, we have Robert Rodriguez and Frank Miller's work Sin City from 2005. Maybe you've heard of it. Going down to the four city buckaroo tier, we have Luke Besson's Valyrian and the City of a Thousand Planets from 2017. We have Alex Proyas's Dark City from 1998. And we have James Gray's The Lost City of Zed from 2016. Moving down to the three buckaroo tier we've got michael patrick king's sex in the city from 2008 we have uh mentioned earlier on on the call johan roberts's resident evil welcome to raccoon city from 2021 uh, heading back to, to Sin City to look up a dame to kill for. Um, that is, uh, Rodriguez and Miller back for, for 2014. Um, that is the three buckaroo tier going down to, to the twos. We've got Jean Pierre Junette and Mark Caro's The Lo uh, The City of Lost Children from 1995. We have Harold Zwartz, The Mortal Instruments, City of Bones from 2013. And we have Satyajit Ray's The Big City from 1963. And then finally at the one city buckaroo tier, we have Mario Van Peebles's New Jack City. City from 1991. We have a previous episode, The Naked City uh, from Jules de Seine, uh, the year 1948. And then finally, a previous, not episode, but Fella's Anime Monday watch uh, from early COVID times, uh, Yoshiaki Kawajiri's Demon City Shinjuku from 1988. That's uh, that's what we're working with. I'll, I'll pause there to catch my breath um, and also to, to hand the mic to Blake. Blake, what you got? Yeah, this is the easiest choice in the world. Thanks for asking, Do Cody. It. Of course. Um, so I'm going to pick up Demon City Shinjuku. Yes. Then I'm going to go up to Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City, call it a day, and then... <laughs> Wait, where's the other one? And I was kick do? back with an ice-cold tea. <laughs> I already fucked up. I you got no so, so uh demon city shinjuku and resident evil so that that gives you five left um oh so. yeah 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 and i'm gonna get city of god because i've seen this uh cover my whole life and never watched the movie but i've always thought looks pretty good no spoilers it is pretty good um but that is a that's a, a well-rounded haul um between demon city uh resident or yeah you said yeah re, re, mm -hmm. re, resident evil the raccoon city um it's in right there in the title and city of god um, and pretty much all work. points in my life i'm going to choose the resident evil movie over most anything else uh, tough but fair. Um, you you drive a hard bargain, which is interesting <laughs> as the as the person buying from the stand. Um, but you really turned the tables. Um, thank you, Blake. Who who would like to go next? Uh, who's who's got a pretty good idea here? Uh, we'll do Ed, Harry and then Aaron. We'll go. That sure, route. I'll go fast. Uh, I think I'm going to do Asteroid City and Dark City. I love Dark City. 
huge fan of Asteroid City. Absolutely heartbroken. I can't also get New Jack City, uh, which also rules. Um, but that's the way the cookie crumbles. It's going to be Asteroid City and Dark City for me. Righteous. Okay. So Harry picks up his purchase and, and walks away. And then behind him strolls the next customer, Aaron. Aaron, that's what me. you got? Yeah, I'm also going to go City of God because that, that is a big blank spot. Blank spot. Blank spot in my watch too. list. Uh, I have heard that's one of the best movies. I should probably watch it. Uh, you know, maybe that 2024, I will watch City of God. Who can say? Uh, I will also watch uh, Nab Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City. Uh, as maybe that will kick off my Resident Evil watch. Maybe 2024 is the year I watch all the Resident Evil movies. Yeah, Who you can should. Say? You should. Seth you know, and I did the same thing a couple do like years a ago. Fast and Furious style. Leading up to the release of this watch, it was it was a really pleasant time. Okay. Okay. Uh, and then last, uh, again, not seen City of God, so I can't speak to that. But New Jack City at one dollar is maybe the biggest steal that has ever yeah, been dude. on one of these. Yeah, dude. That is literally the best movie on these list of movies. By, frankly, a little bit of a large margin, uh, Asteroid City is maybe close. Uh, New Jack City, that's a great fucking movie. Uh, $1 was tempted to just buy that nine times. As Hell yeah. But, Hell uh, yeah. No, I'll just buy that. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. All right. An- another good haul. We're, we're three for three. Can Jason keep that up with his haul as he approaches the stand? Jason? I've already forgotten the number nine. Nine. Nine, nine city buckaroos. How could you forget? Is there any limit on how many I can get from each tier? No limit on that, just I'm as gonna, long as you spend nine. I'm going to buy all of them at the bottom tier, uh, and I'm going to leave Naked City at at Harry's house uh, because I know that no, nobody likes it, but I think Harry really, really, really dislikes that movie. Uh, so that leaves me with six. I'm going to go with um, – I've, I've seen the Resident Evil movie. I don't feel like it's a movie I need to own physically. Uh, I did enjoy it, but I think it was on Netflix or wherever they released that. Um, so I have six. That's right. I'm going to say that I take, I pick that up later. Um, I'm, I'm going to say that I take, ooh, uh, ooh, uh, I've never seen Dark this City. Is Jeff Goldblum? <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen Dark City, and I don't know if I've ever even heard of it. You might need to give me another vector by which to understand what that movie is. But Harry's glowing recommendation of it did put it above some others for me here, which leaves me with two. I'm going to get um, the big city because the cover looks cool. I'm just being realistic. Uh, just being realistic, that's a fine way to go about it. Yeah, I, I saw Dark City, I think for, oh God, it was some film class in college. I can't remember which one. So I can't like pinpoint, like, I can't remember if it was like the film music class. And so like, oh, like the music stands, I don't know. I'm sure the music is fine, but I remember liking Dark City. I think you made, uh, some good choices there. Uh, excellent work, gents. Um, my picks would be, uh, I would pick up Asteroid City. It's my favorite movie from last year. Hard not to do that. Um, I will also pick up The Big City. Uh, it's one that I've been wanting to see for a while. Uh, and I think I, I've, I've only seen like one work from Saiji Ray. So uh, I would like to see The Big City. That puts me in a tough spot uh, with, um, with two more buckaroos. Um, I will pick up New Jack City. And uh, prioritizing those three puts me in a, in a bind um, because I don't really feel like owning Demon City Shinjuku. I don't remember that being sort of the top of the heap as far as our, our fellas anime watches go. Um, so I will pick up the Naked City and use it as like um, either an opportunity for like a hangover movie or I don't know, maybe we were too hard on it. I'll, I'll try reappraising it. And if it doesn't work out, I'll sell it on the on the black market or, or something like that. But you um, selling it for a, mm-hmm. one of the hangover movies. 
like a, a figurative hangover movie, but I don't know. I could barter a barter system. If somebody has uh, the hangover three um, or however many of those they made, um, it's missing from my collection. Um, so 1948 watched, classic naked city. <laughs> I watched hang hangover one twice last year. That's a fucking great movie. Y'all should, we gotta revisit that boys. We might have, have a hangover night. I got it on DVD. Don't worry. All three in a row. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, stream, stream the DVD for us. I think I'm that gonna... might be a, that might be episode 300. Just uh, we'll live stream on YouTube all of the Hangover movies. Uh, provide live okay. running okay. commentaries. Have guests flood in. We won't get I, sued. I can't speak for two and three, but Hangover one, awesome. Bradley Cooper, make a fourth. Let's go. Yeah, the maestro um, himself. I, mm-hmm. I I will get the last word about Demon City Shinjuki. Not the top of the pack uh, when it comes to our anime watches. I think that is pretty handily owned by Writing Bean, which is an excellent. Of course, uh, but. I will say Demon City I, Shinjuku. It was Cursed One Piece for me. but Cursed One Piece is great. I would put that it on was the same level. Um, top two. Those were both incredible surprises. I think I think Bean defines that era of anime watching. By the way, I've made a Mr. whole Bean, list of like for sure. 60, 60 OVAs that are like an hour-ish or less that I, I want to start streaming again. Now that I've got a computer that can uh, do it. Battle Royale High School. Better you guys are forgetting. Fine. I, I, that's Fine. actually maybe the best. That's maybe better than uh, Bean. I don't I think, think that's right at all. But I will say Demon City Shinjuku... That's the one where a guy finds like one of the MacGuffins and it shows them where to go. It's like a little ring that points the way with a beam of light. And he calls it without any context or explanation, a PP laser Ruby in perfect, like in his perfect goofy English uh, act. I think he's, I think he's actually like a, maybe a, a an insensitive uh, Hispanic caricature of some kind. I forget exactly what that character is. To the movie. I just remember the way he says, pp laser ruby and i can't imagine you would not want to pay a dollar for a blu-ray of that i mean come on yes it's free on youtube right now it's probably on amazon prime still but pp laser ruby check it out uh and check out uh, all of blake's work uh including work that he's done with us with me on um on previous podcasts check it check it all out uh blake where do you want people to find you these days um if if um just the something rotten affiliate links that's how you can i get paid the most <laughs> So I think we got one for currently adamandeve.com, NordVPN, and Nebula.tv. You guys got adamandeve.com? Yeah. That's badass, dude. Okay, hold on. Hold on. Okay. Okay. I I am intimately familiar with all the deals. Not the word that that I figured you would have used in referencing this. uh, I will say of all the companies we're currently doing ads for, the Adam and Eve deal is easily the best one. Like when they sent it over, we were like, this is what you all are doing. If you use our discount code, which I think is something rotten, maybe it's just rotten. Literally no one knows. Uh, you get 50% off any item. Whoa. Crazy. Usually they're like, oh, you get 10% off. This is like half off anything in the fucking store. You can That's buy fucking a, crazy. You can buy an Adam and Eve franchise half off. You discount code something <laughs> rotten. So that's where I want you to find. You me, can become a small me. business owner. <laughs> yeah. So find me at givingmemoney.com. Can I ask, is there something, because every podcast I listen to has the same thing, where if they have like affiliate links, I think it is like a rule or like a law that you cannot know, you cannot remember the code that people are supposed to put in. You're supposed to say like, just try this out. I think it's this. So, I think it's podcast name 20, maybe. Yeah, I you mean know? like, we, we they're, they're usually different for each one. So we like to often just keep it simple and it'll be discount code rotten. But inexplicably, that is sometimes already taken. Mm, well, I, I mean, Adam, I think it was, Adam and Eve, the Apple 
rotten. I, I don't know. It. I I think it was Nord was like, no, we've already used rotten. What? Like, where? Where did you use it? So it's often either something rotten or just rotten. Try them both. Either way, get fifty percent off whatever you want. Yeah. They have discreet shipping too. I so. mean, the true cost there goes in selling selling like the purity of your moral soul by right. engaging yeah. in sexual deviancy. So I mean, like. So it's maybe isn't that good a deal in the end, right? We we go through we're published by Nebula who handles all the ads for us. And usually like if we do an ad for someone and I want something, I'll just hit up the ad dude and be like, I want that. I want a thing from them. Adam and Eve, Has- I could not bring myself. Because <laughs> I, I don't know that dude's a stranger. Like I've never formally met him. He's just a name on Slack. And I can't be like, yo, I'm really trying to try out one of these new Hitachi wands. Have you seen it? <laughs> added more more added more vibrate to it i just can't bring myself to do it so i've not used our discount code on that but dear listener you can uh well you can also use the trilove discount uh code at trilon which is where you mention the podcast and whoever's volunteering kind of gives you a dirty look they kick you out yeah it's a it's a great way to save money because you cannot buy a ticket they will immediately (laughs) escort you from the theater uh, well, Blake, thank you so much for joining. I hope everything's thank going you. well in New York. Uh, visit sometime. Yeah. We'll do the same. Uh, but for right now, thank you so much. Wait. for listening. What? You didn't do the thing where we pick the gifts. Oh, yeah. I, I oh, dropped that bit. That it, was, it was honestly. Jason's decided not honestly, to. I came up no, with no, please one. don't bring it. No, I came no, up with no, one. Please. I literally was I, thinking last night. I am so night. glad that you have it. It was difficult because I no longer have access to my pirated version of Adobe Premiere, which was very easy to make gifts with. Now I have to go through a whole separate process that takes too much time. Please, please share with me your gifts. Yeah, what was the, the one gift? where the guy's brushing his teeth and then he sticks the toothbrush in the mannequin's mouth? It's so good. Like, is that during their it's like good, we're yeah. bored, we don't know what to do scene? Dude, why I fucking we didn't love even that talk scene. about that scene? That scene is so funny. That might have been my uh, favorite yeah, scene. When he brushes the mannequin's lips. I was like, that's the fucking gift. It's the biggest like me and the homies on a Sunday vibe yeah. ever. <laughs> yeah. Dude. Don't ask me. What are we the doing? Dude puking the dude puking over his friends at one point. It's so good. Is the implication that he's puking into that guy's mouth? Because the guy looks up and like glurps so. something and then we see the guy barfing from above. Here's that's the thing. Yummy. It's it's not a it's not a it's not a movie without a vomit scene as far as I'm concerned in this this especially a Japanese quota. cyberpunk movie I, <laughs> yeah, the quota. I've I've learned after introducing you to uh, 964 Pinocchio I learned that that might be like your thing you watched multiple times the short film by the same director that was just yeah. a woman barfing all over Japan Gary Sita yeah shows in Fukui's yeah. 10 minute short one of my favorite movies I watched in 2023 <laughs> you can check that out uh, are you are you play, what are you on Letterboxd I think that's worth saying I don't know. Blake. Find him, find, know. find him at Blake. He's like one of the six people who's logged 964 Pinocchio I, on. I think, I think I'm Blake DTFP technically. Yeah, what is oh, that? Okay. It was death to false podcast, which was a game query thing. Mm-hmm. But someone was like, it just seems like you're saying down to fuck penis. And I was like, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Adam which, and like, Eve promo code. Here, rotten. Maybe, maybe I am, but I, I feel like a lot of like GI listeners follow me on there. So I took the DTFP <laughs> off the public thing, but I think that's how you find me. Rock on. Uh, never stop sniping. Check out us, our podcast at trial of podcast. Check out the Trilon at Trilon cinema and at trilon.org. Both great ways to find out what's coming next. Whole lot of great stuff planned for the rest of the year. Uh, Charlotte rampling uh, takes the cover of 
where is it? I have I have the print brochure somewhere. It's called Illusions of Invulnerability. Illusions of Invulnerability by Charlotte Rampling. Not the greatest human these days politically, but uh, a tour de force on screen. Wonderful, wonderful series that's that's shaping up to be. Check it out at trilon.org. Go to the Trilon and pick up one of those calendars for yourself and give them some money while you're at it. Uh, but for me, just go to Twitter, find me at Nintendoofus, and uh, you know maybe maybe give me money there. Yeah, maybe. Uh, thanks for stopping by, Blake. Uh, yeah. I'm, I, I'm not much of a gamer, so I don't know how much me I'll neither. get out of something rotten, but uh, I'll, I'll definitely check out those affiliate links. Know what I'm saying? I've yes, been, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> salute. Um, I've been Cody Narvison. You can find me on Blue Sky at Cody Narvison and Twitter at Cody underscore BH. Yeah, this was super fun. Thanks, Blake. Uh, Absolutely. You can find me on Twitter at Punished Take. And my name is Aaron. Uh, you can find me on this podcast every week. How about that? There we go. And I do. Every week? You don't think that's a little over promising? I know. Hmm. Yeah, but you can find me maybe 33% of the we time. We had like 52, <laughs> 53 episodes in 2023, and you were on. Was, was it a double digit number of times? Of course. I was on like 45 <laughs> of those. How dare you? Let's. Okay. Uh, let's you, well, let's... there's a bit, but you took it too fucking far there, Jason. <laughs> let's wrap. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Shit. I drooled on myself. <laughs>